We're going to pray and we're going to read uh, from John chapter uh, 15, starting in verse 1, and then we're going to move to verse 11, and then we will pray and, and turn to the explanation of, of God's word as we begin a new study this morning. Let's read. The scriptures say in John 15, I am the true vine. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples the night before he goes to the cross. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you this morning to hear your word because that is what your disciples do they come to you understanding that they do not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of god this is what our lord jesus taught us and so father we we come on a day when we are to worship you and we come from all different places all different emotional states, all different uh, ages and, and stages and careers, perhaps some of us between work, some of us uh, working hard, some of us uh, seeking more for their family or more for themselves, and we are all on a quest to be happy or joyful. And so, Father, as we Think about this idea of chasing joy, about pursuing meaning and purpose and comfort. We pray that you would help us to discern what the world's values are and what your values are. You created us as emotional beings with the capacity for joy, for delight, for celebration, for a richness of, of faith and a depth of experience that even in the midst of difficult circumstances, we can still say whether we have much or we have little, we are content 
because we have you. That may be an easy thing to memorize. It may be an easier thing to pray, but it is a difficult thing to see take root in our lives. And so we want to focus on you and on who we are in you and what you have called us to, Lord. We pray that you would teach us now from your word. I pray if there's anyone here this morning who, who has never heard about the source of joy, about what it takes to be reconciled to you because of, of who we are and what we've done, I pray that eyes would be opened. And Father, in a room where, where many people have been walking with Christ for years, I pray that you would help us to rekindle if the fire has gone out. And that, that for those who need sharpening, we pray that we would have renewed energy to pursue you and to pursue our joy in you. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, Paul had brought the gospel to the city of Galatia. Paul was a convert to Christianity from Judaism, originally named Saul. He was confronted by Jesus on the road to Damascus and challenged by Jesus to stop hurting the church, which he was, uh, he, he was in the habit of persecuting and destroying. And so Jesus confronted him and turned him from a persecutor and destroyer of the church into an ally, a planter, a creator of the church in places where it had not gone. And so Paul traveled on a missionary journey to a city called Galatia in a region known as Asia Minor. If you're looking for that on a map, it's probably around where Turkey is now. Uh, not Asia proper in our sense, but Asia Minor in the ancient sense. He went to Galatia and he taught them about the gospel. And they received it with excitement and joy as good news. But when Paul left, when he traveled on to plant the gospel, to plant the church in other cities and other places, he received news from them, whether they wrote him and explained to him what was going on or whether he heard from other people. What, what had happened was they became focused on a kind of knowing or a kind of information, a kind of, of living the Christian life that Paul believed was not the Christian life at all. He asks them in Galatians chapter 4, verse 15, what then has become of your blessedness? What has become of your happiness in God? What has become of, of that settled root that you had when you put your faith in Jesus, when you received the, the knowledge that, that we're reconciled to God, that we are right with him, you, you received this news with joy and you were excited about what God was doing and you, you began to run well, he says in another place, but somehow you, you stopped, you were interfered with, something changed and they became bitter and cold and focused on what they, what they did and the precision of their theology and so many things. And in the course of that, they lost their joy. Something similar can happen to us. Maybe as you hear the condition of the Galatians, you think, boy, that's, that, that's me. 
the, the fire has gone out. Pursuing God has become a matter of learning facts or a matter of doing the right things. It's, it's become showing up at church on Sunday. It's become uh, singing or doing some volunteer thing or it's become striving in my own private life to pray more or it has become reading the Bible more or it has become any, anything else. It's become something less than an exciting adventure. It's become something less than the sense of, of connection to God and excitement to know him and to know that we are reconciled and right with him. God created us with a hunger. You know the hunger that you feel, right? When it's like 5 or 12 and you're like, the sermon needs to land and it's got to be done and I got to get out of here because football is on later, but I got to get something in this mouth and into the stomach because you are hungry, right? You know that. Uh, I gave my, my wife a cookbook a couple years ago about cooking for boys uh, where, where the author talks about how all of her children got into this frantic, like, must eat. She said she could see it in their eyes that they were what she called mad hungry. And they came into the house and they threw up open their refrigerator doors and they would eat anything just to, just to satiate their hunger. As human beings, we are created with spiritual hungers, legitimate spiritual hungers. We, we desire to be loved. We desire to have purpose. We desire to have meaning. We desire to be valued. We also crave joy. We crave peace in the midst of circumstances. We crave a kind of comfort, not a, not a padded bubble wrap, no risk kind of comfort, but the, the kind of comfort that says, that says, yeah, even if something goes wrong, I know that it will be okay. What, what some might call resiliency, right? The, the snap back, right? You know when it's time to throw away your socks, right? When you, when you put them on, in high school we used to call them quitters, Right, you know, because you you pull them up and they just kind of sink back down because the elastic is given up. Right, it's gone to wherever elastic goes after it loses its springiness. Human beings, we we if we have joy, if we've got a sense of purpose, or we understand that that things will be okay, then we have that ability to snap back, and we crave this naturally. This is different from happiness. Happiness is what we feel when good things happen, right? When you get a message from your insurance company or from your mortgage company that they overcharged you, right? Or that your mortgage payment is going down or you get, you, you hear that, that, that something's happened and they collected too much money and they send you a check and you're like, yes, you know, you, you, you feel like you're, you're, this is good, right? We don't feel that way when a tire blows out on our car and we're going on vacation, right? This, this happened to our family. We were driving to New York to go to camp, and uh, we were in a, a borrowed vehicle, which made it twice as bad, and all of a sudden, you know, the, uh, the car just stopped working on the Garden State Parkway uh, in the fast lane, and we, were, we had to drift across traffic, and there was honking and, you know, like hand signals and all kinds of stuff, and, and we were there by the side of the road, and, and it felt like vacation was dying, right? 
That's, that's where happiness evacuates, right? But if there's a sense of, of purpose and a sense of, 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 of the idea that, that we, can, we can weather the storms and we can snap back, if there's an abiding joy, you will not fall apart in despair, right? You will remember that, that you were smart enough to get AAA or whatever it is, you know, and, 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 and jump back in. Human beings, if they have joy and hope, they can meet all kinds of challenges. We crave it. But something happens many times in the Christian life, and we forget about joy. We are deceived and tricked into thinking that, 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 that we're deceived and tricked and we fall into a rut. This happens. The Puritans used to talk about mountain experiences and valley experiences, uh, and, and that, the, that in a valley that, that God's face would be hidden and we would no longer see him. And it wasn't necessarily because we had done anything wrong. It was just that season, and we needed to keep on walking, walk out of the valley, begin to ascend the mountain again, and keep pushing forward that, that we would move past whatever was obscuring God's face, and we would see him again, the idea that we needed to push through that rut. What are some of the things that, that Christians do when they fall into a rut? They say something like, maybe my faith is not deep enough. I need to go deeper. And so what they do then is they say, I need to pray more or I need to know more. We decide that what we're going to do is we're going to outrun the reality of, of what exists in our hearts. And so we begin to consume information and techniques and we engage all, all kinds of, of spiritual practices to kind of uh, wrench ourselves forward. And many times what happens is our knowledge of good, true things begins to outdistance our obedience to them. We find ourselves in a place where we're feeling empty, spiritually, heartless, because the reality of what we know doesn't match up to who we are. We could shift over into another way of thinking and we could say, I'm not doing enough. Maybe that's it. Maybe I need to serve more. Maybe I need to go out and accomplish more. We, we read that faith without works is dead. And so we say, I am going to get about the business of doing God's business and, and, and so we move from this kind of heartless experience where our behavior doesn't match up with our knowledge and we say, I'm going to throw myself into activity and we wind up weary. There's a common theme and a problem with both of these approaches and that's that they involve guilt. And I believe guilt is a horrible motivator for long-term behavior. Guilt feels bad, and so it gets us moving. But, but what happens when we realize or we hear that we need to be more, that we need to do more, and, and we feel bad about the fact that, that we're, we're failing, what happens is, is we have heart pain. It breeds exhaustion. When, when we think we must do, it focuses on our failure. And when we see the, the great distance that we need to travel in order to get to where we need to be, we, we realize the distance is great, and many times we give up. Many times we say, I, I, I just can't, I can't get there. I can't get to where I will be accepted by God. 
I think there's two poles of what is going on here, and I'm just going to write them right here. One of them is being, okay? And the other is doing. Being is the spiritual process of growing in the knowledge of God and myself, right? The, the process, it's a spiritual inner heart process of, of growing in answering the question of, if I write too fast, everything just kind of gets all scribbly like that. Um, who is God? Who is he? And then the second question is, who am I? It is up there. Okay, good. Um, I just had this moment that maybe I'm writing here and no one is seeing it. Okay, uh, the second question is, is one of, of doing. This is the second area that, that causes struggle. We can, we can drive off of the road in either, in either direction. You know, we can go to extremes. Doing is living out all that I am, all that I'm learning and becoming in all aspects of my life, where we ask the question then, what am I doing I dotted the M. That's pretty bizarre. Uh, what am I doing with my time, my talents, my treasure, and my temple, this body that I have been given? There must be some kind of, of balance. If you're prone to these extremes, if you find yourself bouncing back and forth and you find yourself either frustrated or you find yourself uh, uh, frustrated with your lack of progress or you find yourself feeling empty and weary, you're questing for some kind of, of balance in your life. There must be something. The encouragement to you this morning is that there is. It can be found. And that's what we want to focus on over the next couple weeks. The, the way to keep it in balance, there's a, there's a clue here. I just want to, I want to give you a piece of it, and we're, we're going to expand on this. This is, this is the, the, the clue that I'd like to put out there, that the foundation is of utmost importance that the essence of, of who we are, the essence of who we're connected to is the starting point for all of our actions. Something has to come first, either the chicken or the egg. If you're a Christian and you believe in creation, then the answer's simple, right? The chicken came first and it laid the very first eggs. Something comes first and then something comes after, right? We, we, have, to, we have to start with the foundation and then build on top of that. Let's, let's answer this question first. Why don't more people have a positive experience with God out there in the world? Why don't more people know who God is and have a, a tangible, real, wonderful, joy-filled experience with him? Why, why is that? I believe it's because they have not heard or have not believed in the good news about who God is. Look at what the good news of the scriptures is. It says this, you, speaking of past tense, because Paul's writing to the Ephesians who believe the message of the gospel, he says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in once in which you once walked. And that's the condition of every single human being born into this world is that they come into a world that the stain of sin on them in them filling their being because we are a race of of beings who have sinned against god and we're dead in those trespasses and sins 
We follow the course of the world. We absorb the culture around us and we say, I guess this is what's right to do, even though in our hearts we know uh, that we're, we're sinning against God. We follow the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. We once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And the Bible describes us here by nature, by birth, as children of wrath, beings who deserve the punishment of God like the rest of mankind. That's pretty bad news, right? That's not good news. It takes bad news, though, right? You want the good news or the bad news? And if you're smart, you say, I want the bad news, and then you hear the good news, and hopefully the good news brightens up the bad news, right? The bad news is that this is who we are. This is the, the situation we're, we're born into. The good news is this, that God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, God looks at the human race. He sees the human condition sinful, alienated from him, rebelling against him, living in ways that he says, don't live that way, don't behave that way, follow me, I created you, respond to me. He's not desperate, but he's speaking to us and saying, this is the way that you should live. And humanity is saying, absolutely not, no. God's response to that is to treat us not according to our deeds, but according to his character. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What the Bible is saying to us here is that when God saw us dead in sinful wickedness, he said, I am going to raise them to life. He came and he raised us from deadness in the sins by uniting us with his son Jesus. And because our life is united with the life of Christ, it says that he treats us like he treats Jesus. He raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heaven. And if we are in Christ, then we are there with him. We are heirs to all the gospel blessings, all the goodness that comes from being the son of God. That's the good news, that, that God takes our sins and puts them on Christ on the cross. That Jesus dies bearing the penalty for our sins and that our sins are canceled out, driven away, paid for by Jesus. And that when we say, I believe in him, I believe that he is my savior, I believe that I am a sinner in need of salvation, God then credits to us the righteousness of Jesus. Many people have not heard that. Many people do not understand that. They do not know that Christianity, that following Jesus isn't be good. They don't know that Christianity isn't pray a lot. They don't, they don't know that. They don't understand that it has everything to do with Jesus. 
The scriptures say this, by grace you've been saved through faith. God's grace rids us of our sins and gives us the righteousness of Christ. And all that we need do is to say, that is amazing. I receive it as a sinner. I want to be your child. It says it's not our own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. There's no room for pride here. It's just what an amazing thing God has done for us. And we believe it and receive it. If you're here this morning and you're, you're new to church or you're new to Christianity or your mom or dad was like, we're going to church today or something, and you're like, I don't know any of this. This is simple. The question that I'd ask you is, have you believed this? Is the foundation of, of your righteousness or your relationship with God what you do, how you behave, what you, what you think, or your spiritual experiences? The good news of the gospel is this, that, that those things which eventually wind up feeling empty are not the foundation. The foundation is the work of God in Jesus on our behalf. He does the work, and we must re merely receive it. And so my encouragement to you is to ask God to save you, to speak to him and to say, I am in danger of perishing. I am in danger of being separated from you and, and bearing your wrath for all eternity, but you have, you have made it possible for me to escape that. And so I would encourage you to pray and to ask God, to save you. But it's not just those who don't believe the gospel who don't have a rich, joyful experience of God. Many Christians get stuck. Why, why do they get stuck? A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God, says this, that, that we have been snared in the coils. We've gotten trapped by a spurious logic. We have this bad idea that traps us the idea insists upon us that if we have found God, we need no longer seek him. He goes on to say that, that this, this paradoxical idea that, that doesn't seem to be intuitive or make sense is actually of the utmost importance. He says, to have found God and to still pursue him is the soul's paradox of love. Scorned indeed by the too easy, easily satisfied religionist, by justified in happy experience by the children of the burning heart. Those who have a passionate, excited, joyful relationship with God have mastered this idea that they have found Jesus, that gospel has come to them, God has saved them, but that's not the end. They must still pursue, they must still seek, they must still press forward in faith. Once we find him, we need still seek him. So why don't more Christians know God in a, in a deeper way? Why don't they have a greater experience of knowledge of him? I think that there are, are three basic answers to why they don't know. One is this. I think that they might be ignorant 
and I don't mean this in, a, in an offensive sense, because ignorant is a, is a bit of an insult word, uh, but the idea of ignorance is simply that you just don't know something, and so they don't know that there's an experience beyond just saying, yeah, I believe that. They don't know that there's a, a passionate life experience that, that fills them with joy and can sustain them through the most difficult trials. They just think, I believe, they think, I come to church, I pray, I give, and somehow that earns me a life of, of, of comfort, or when I pray, God will always say yes or something, and then their, their, their Christian experience is dashed when they're disappointed. The, the second reason why they don't have a greater experience is that they might not have a friend or a coach who's going to tell them that there's more that they can, they can push beyond. There's not somebody who's further along in the Christian life saying, hey, are you new at this? Or hey, are you stuck? Hey, are you struggling? There's, there's more, and you can get past this. Here's what happens. Many times people come into a church, and the way that the church speaks or teaches them is, is that you should know all of this stuff already. You should have Bible mastery. You should understand all the difficult questions of your faith, and it should all be settled because that's... That's what it's like to be a Christian. You should know. And then what people do is they build their armor and they say, no one's going to find out that I don't know everything. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obscure that. And so they, they, don't, they don't move forward because the church thinks the, the, the way that the church acts, even unintentionally, makes them think that they should know more. And they don't exactly know how to get more or know more. They have no friend or coach. But I don't necessarily think that those are the biggest reasons why. I think the biggest reason why is, is a personal one for many. And I think that is busyness. That so often we are just far too busy. And while the basic problems of our life and growing in the knowledge of, of, of the Lord have not changed significantly since the creation of the world, the, 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 the basic struggles of independence and, and finding other things to do have not changed, certainly the number of opportunities to be distracted have changed. If you're online, you know that if you look at Facebook or Instagram on your phone that you can just keep scrolling down and down and down and down forever. You never get to the bottom of it. Every book that's ever been written in the world before Facebook had an end to it, right? You could get to the end of it. Facebook's not like that. You, you now, once upon a time, if you were saying, I'm going to watch television, right, there would come a point at the night where the national anthem would come on, and then there would be like that test pattern, or there would be static on, and everything would be off, and it would be like, it must be time to go to bed. That doesn't happen anymore. Now you can watch every single episode of 14 seasons of whatever show, right? You can just, now we use the word binge watching. Right? There are so many challenges to our attention that are so easy that busyness, and it's not just the little things. It's not just 
the electronic distractions. It's that there is pressure from family life and there is pressure from personal life and there is pressure to keep home life in order in terms of paying bills and keeping up with registrations. And there's, there's uh, so many demands on our jobs or at school. There are so many things that compete for attention. But if this is truly important, then we will do what we do with everything that's truly important and we will rope off a piece of our life and we will say this time is devoted towards what's most important. The Christian life is one of extremes for many if we have no balance. I think there's a struggle between doing, right? We can have a low sense of doing or a high sense of doing. When I speak of doing, recall what I'm, what I'm talking about here. I'm saying using all that God has given me and then connecting it with knowledge and saying that I need to be a good steward of my time, of my, my talents, of my, my treasure, what I've been given by God, and I need to be a good steward of this, this body. And so all of that is, is doing, and we can have a, a high sense of doing or a low sense of doing. There's another axis here, and that is being. And that is the, the knowledge of who God is and who am I. And we can either be low in that area or high in that area. Many of us, when we become a believer, you, you, you may, you, this may be your experience if you're, if you're new to this, or it may have been your experience in the past, or if you, you, you prayed this morning and you asked God to save you for the very first time, this may be something that's coming down the road. And so maybe this will help you. And, 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 and encourage you. If you have low being and low doing, what will happen is you will become what I'd call a frustrated follower. You want to know more. You want to accomplish more, but, but there's no connection between the two. You know what I mean? There's no advancement. You're, you're stuck in a place. What you, what you may do is you're going to say, okay, I am going to... I am going to increase my spiritual capacity. I'm going to grow by doing. I'm going to do myself into being. This is a, a recipe for increased frustration. As we move from being a frustrated follower to what you could call a weary worker, you say, I'm going to throw myself into all kinds of things. I'm going, to, I'm going to study the Bible. I'm going to get up early. I'm going to pray for an hour. I'm going to go to all kinds of Bible studies. I'm going to volunteer anytime anybody says something, you know, that, that there's a need at the church. I'm going to throw myself into that because surely God will see what I'm doing and he will make me grow. But if you've ever tried to do this, you've, you've wound up frustrated. So maybe then you say, I need to go deeper. I need to study more, pray more. I need, to, I need to learn all about theology. I need to understand all the attributes of God. I need to, I need to dig deep and I need to read old books and I need to just you know, commune with God and I, I'm gonna throw myself into being. And what happens many times as we do that is our, our knowledge begins to grow, but our obedience does not come with it. And so we wind up feeling heartless. And when the knowledge 
or the behavior that we know that we should be engaging and we're verbalizing, we're saying, this is what a real Christian looks like, but our actions don't match up with it. What Jesus calls that is hypocrisy. We become a heartless hypocrite. We are frustrated because our obedience does not nearly match up to what we know. I don't think anyone in this room wants to be a weary worker. And I don't think anybody in this room wants to be a heartless hypocrite, but we need to seek out and find balance in this life. We have to, we have to nail this. We have to figure out some way of staying on target if, if we're not going to be frustrated and prone to dropping out of doing, or if, if we're going to be educated beyond our obedience and we're going to say, it's never, it's never going to come about, I'm just going to stop because all I'm doing is deluding myself into making me think that I'm better when I'm not acting on these things. Jesus warned his disciples about the dangers of extremes. He speaks to them in Mark chapter 8. They get into the boat after a long day of, of working hard and, and ministering, and they forget to bring bread. They only had one loaf with them in the boat. Jesus, then aware of this, cautions them and says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. They began discussing with one another then the fact that they had no bread. You know, we forgot to bring bread. Jesus is upset. You know, he's, he's going to need to eat in a little while. And he's like, you know, we forgot the bread and now we're failures. You know, and so they're, they're, they're frustrated. He says to them then, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? He's pointing out to them that there are these dangers. Herod's danger was that he listened to John the Baptist preach and teach and never changed his behavior. The problem with the Pharisees is that they wouldn't take a step forward. This is, by the way, if you look, if you're in Mark chapter 8, this is the story right before the Pharisees challenge Jesus and they're like, we'll listen to you and follow your teaching if you only show us a sign. That's, that's part of their problem. The other part of their problem is that they said, if, we're just, if, we, if we obey the law perfectly, if we're perfectly righteous, then God will receive us. They were seeking to be justified and, and saved and right before God by their doing. Jesus says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand or your hearts hardened? Have you gone to one of these extremes? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? You know, about this point, I think if I were a disciple, I'd be getting a little frustrated. I'm listening, Jesus. You're talking. I don't get what you're saying. They say things to him in different places in the Bible, like stop talking in parables. We don't know what you're saying. Then he gets real close to the situation. He says, do you not remember? Two chapters before, discusses the story of how he takes five loaves and two fish and he broke them for 5,000. 
they had said to him, who's going to feed this crowd, Jesus? Where are we going to get money to feed the crowd? Jesus says, you feed them. And they're like, nobody could feed them. And then he's like, well, what do we got on hand? Five loaves, two fish, right? He breaks the, the bread and the fish and distributes it to everybody. And everybody eats until they are full. You know, like they probably, these poor peasant peoples had probably not eaten like this. Maybe they stretched out and they were like, we are going to go into our after lunch food coma nap, right? They had never been that full in their lives. And Jesus is like, hey, go pick up all the fragments. And the disciples go out. And what do they pick up? Twelve baskets full. They had started with five loaves and two fish. And then just before this story, just before the interaction with the Pharisees, they were in the region of the Decapolis where it is said that there were 10 cities and seven different tribes of Gentiles. And so he says that, that, they, that they had seven loaves and they, he, Jesus took them and he broke them and he distributed them. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? He says to them, and they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And that's it for the story. So the disciple, the, the student of the Bible has to say, what in the world does that mean? And apply meaning to it. So that's what we're going to do right now. If the danger is one of being unchanged by what we hear by God, what we hear from God, Right? We hear and we grow in knowledge and grow in knowledge and we're acquiring more facts and a greater sense of what the Bible says and we're, and we're, we're learning and we're, we're attempting to change who we are in the person of our heart and we're not being transformed. That's one danger. The other danger is that we will constantly throw ourselves into activity and the heart is not there and so we're frustrated what is Jesus seeking to teach his disciples here? What's the common factor in the stories? They had nothing, and yet people ate till they were satisfied. Was it what the disciples were doing? Was it what they believed? No. The difference was that Jesus was present, that he was there, that he was with them. The mistake that I think so many of us make in our Christian life when we say, I am, going to, I am going to act my way into being a spiritual being, I'm going to grow in knowledge of God, is that what we do is we pursue knowledge and information instead of God himself. Instead of a, a real experience with the God who is alive, we pursue the information as if it's something under a microscope to be studied and analyzed and mastered as if God himself could be mastered. And when we seek to obey ourselves into spiritual maturity, when we seek to, to do more and we wind up frustrated and weary, we realize it's because we have been engaging and striving and trying, but we're not ministering and, and working in the power which God supplies. And so we wind up feeling empty. I don't know about you. I don't want to be frustrated. I want to be joyful. I don't want to struggle with heartless hypocrisy. I want to live up here where, where what I do is in connection with all that is going on within me spiritually and all that I am spiritually comes as a result of a of a real true genuine experience with God I want to live up here 
where there's balance, where I will be a joyful disciple. That's who I want to be. We know that the Christian life involves being, right? One day God will ask us perhaps the most important question. He'll say, what did you do with my son Jesus? What did you, what did you do with that? that knowledge. The other question that we think he will ask us is he'll ask, what did you do with the life and the time and the resources I gave you? This is where I think balance comes from. One day, if, if God asks, what did you do with my son Jesus? I want to be able to say that, that my, my being was in balance, that I embraced Jesus with a whole heart, that, that I looked to him in faith, and when we sing songs in church and we say that he is all to us, or hallelujah, what a savior, we're, we're living over in this place where it's all about being, right? We would say to God, I know that Jesus lives within me. I see the evidence within my being that God is in me, right? I see that in Galatians 5, 22, and 23, where it says that the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of, of God's Spirit living in us is producing something. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I have to read it because if I say it from memory, I always say eight and I forget one. Always. I don't know why. I've just never quite gotten it right. Against such things, there is no law. The evidence that God is active in our lives, that our experience is genuine and we're being transformed. But on the other side of the spectrum here, if one day God asks, what did you do with the life and the resources I gave you? I want to be able to say, I know that Jesus Christ worked through me. I see his work in all that I'm, that I'm doing, that, that, that God is working through me. Ephesians 2.10 says this, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a balance here between being and doing, and the balance is pursued in saying, okay, God is at work in me, transforming me, and God is at work through me, working in the world. I think it's interesting because isn't the statement that we put on the front of our bulletin that our mission is to know Jesus Christ and it is to make him known. It is first being and then second doing. Let's take a look at a process, formula, way of, way of thinking about this as we pursue and unpack the topic of joy over the next couple weeks. Jesus says this to his disciples, abide in me and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What we must do is come to a settled place of understanding as Christians as what it means to rest in Jesus, right? We've taken the, the verb abide, which means to live, and we've, we've turned it into a noun that describes something, right? The word abode, right, is where you live. Right? It's where, it's where you, you camp out. It's where you keep all your stuff and where your family is at the end of the day when you come home and they're in your abode. And so how do we, how do we make our home in the vine? Because the branch, he says here, can't bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Being precedes doing. But doing is the natural result of being. Does that make sense? John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What Jesus is saying is, is, is here we want a life that, that makes good use of all that God has entrusted to us, that, that takes ad, advantage for joy of the body that we've been given, of the resources that we've been entrusted with, of the relationships around us, of the time that we've been given, then what that means is that all of that results from a living in who Jesus is, that it flows out of that. That when we center and focus on who God is in us and we seek to cultivate and grow, then... God works so that he works through us and then out into the world. What is the end result of this? Look at what Jesus says here. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. I'll tell you what I want. I want that. That's what I want. You know what I've learned about money? Money vanishes. You know what I've learned about cars? Man, it is so nice to sit in a new car, isn't it? Man, you outlive cars, don't you? You know, you can, you can paint something and take a picture of it. You can get yourself all dressed up and, and, and snap a selfie and be like, look at me and post it on the world. But you know what, what you, you put it out there on the Internet. You know what happens is in a couple hours, right, you sweat it a little. Maybe it's high humidity. And now you're having a bad hair day. The makeup's running, right? The clothes are wrinkly. You're tired. You're cranky, right? You know, everything, everything that we pursue as a source of joy outside of what God God is doing in and through us eventually rots away and fails. So what does this teach us as we chase joy, as we, as we finish up and close down this morning? Joy isn't something that comes when we have lots of stuff. The endless inspection of the lives of others leaves us empty. And when we, attain, when we finally attain all the things that we're after, the possessions, many times we find them empty. Joy is not the primary pursuit. The primary pursuit is God. But as we pursue him, as we pursue Jesus, joy is the byproduct. It's no simple thing to pursue joy. It takes bravery and commitment. We need to embrace discipline in order to experience delight because growth takes time. 
Strength, building strength requires exertion. To chase something, to, to run it down and attain it requires dedication. So how is this going to work? I want to I cover a number of subjects over the next few weeks. I want to attempt to master being and doing. This idea is not original to me. Uh, it's, it's from an author named Jeff Spatafora. He wrote a book that I picked up because I thought it was going to be a book that I could give my wife and be like, you'll love this. It's a book for women because it was called The Joy Model. That's, I'll, I'll be honest with you. It was at a conference and I saw it and I was like, oh, I'll give this to her when I get home. And then I picked it up to see if she would be interested and I was like, this is going to change my life. This is amazing. It's great. Fantastic. So I haven't given it to you yet. Yeah, I will. Yeah. Sorry, that was weird. Um, being... Being comes first, right? This man, he says that there's a formula. We need to master our Christian life if we're going to stay on balance. The first thing that we're going to need is margin. We're going to need to learn how to make time for what is truly important. Because if we don't devote time to our being, it will never grow. And so we need some margin, and then we need to learn how to abide. But we need to learn how to abide understanding who we are in relation to God. We need to understand who we are individually, and we need to understand who we are as human beings, what it is that we bring to the table as humans, our independence, our ability to, to pollute and to cloud the truth. We need to know who God is, and then we need to know who we are, and we need to devote sufficient time to us. And so we'll talk about that, and then we're going to talk about doing and we're going to talk about these three areas. We're going to talk about uh, the T, which is time, talent, treasure, temple. And then we're going to talk about something that I've heard so many of you talk about to me privately. You've asked me questions. You've, you've asked questions. You've wondered. You've, you've, you've articulated in, in vulnerable moments. You've said, what in the world am I supposed to do with my Life, And I want to talk about what's called engagement. This is not what's meant by pre-marriage, but what is a cause that you can throw your entire life into and it will not be wasted? What is the purpose of life? And then how do you find how you connect to that purpose? Because many people live, as one author has said, lives of quiet desperation, not knowing why they exist. And then finally, there is the context in which all of this is lived out, and that is our relationships with others. As we begin to master being, and that doesn't mean becoming who we are going to ultimately be. It just means getting in place where we are routinely coming before God and saying, Lord, change me by the power of the Spirit. Work in me. Move me. Shift me. We then move out into these areas of our lives that God has entrusted with us, that, that entrusted us with, rather, that, that we might be good stewards of what he's given to us. Joy doesn't have to mean weariness. We can embrace discipline without being disappointed. And joy does not even have to mean hypocrisy, that we ignore the fact that, 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 that the struggle will always be with us and that we will always be in a process of becoming and growing. We can lay aside the fear of being deluded and we can pursue God with joy. 
Psalm 1611 is where I want to finish this morning. The Galatians were asked by Paul, what has become of your sense of blessedness? This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 1611 as he restores balance to the life of those who are wondering, where do I find joy? He says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. As we close, let's not pursue a life of empty activity to earn God's affection because the gospel means that we have it. And let's not focus on the acquisition of knowledge so that we can master truth or the, the acquisition of, of behavior so that we can view ourselves as righteous before God because of what we do. Instead, let us see that Jesus is calling us into a relationship with himself in which we will grow in, in who we are and what we do. And let's pursue him with joy. Let's close in prayer. Father, as we, as we finish this morning, as we close off our, our time in your word, I pray that you would help us to reflect on who we are and where we have been stuck. There is no singular perfect person who lives this Christian life in the exact way that they desire. There is always some new road to be pursued. There's always some new spiritual growth hurdle to, to jump. There's always some, some distance between who we want to be when we see you in scripture and who we are at this moment. We pray that you would help us to remember that we are branches connected to the vine. That, that we are connected to you and that you are the source of our growth. And we pray that, that we would come before you and say, Lord, teach us to be more, knowing that you are satisfied with us. Teach us how to grow in responsibility and wise use of what you've entrusted us with so that we can say that we honor you because you were kind and good to us. Father, we want to finish our lives with joy. We want to break the tape on the race of life at the end and hear you pronounce, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray that you would lead us out of ruts. Help us to start and to finish the race that, of this life strong. Father, we ask this for your glory that you might be honored, and that we might have joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.